Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Latest Shiny Podcast. This is your host, Steve Spector. And with me, as usual, is Rob Hirschfeld. Uh, Rob, how are you? Hey, Stephen. I'm enjoying the cold weather. I tell you, Rob, I feel like we haven't done one of these uh, in a while with both of us. I keep missing or, or different things keep happening. It's like, it's like trying to fly a plane with one wing. It's just really hard. I, I've been looking at stats. I'm in the process. Now we're going to build a uh, website for this podcast and set up a newsletter. We're going to be, we're going to move to the real time. We figured, I figured after 77 uh, podcasts, we, it's time for us to get serious. You know, we're done playing. And, newsletter, uh, I think is a great idea. People will be able to pick and choose what they want. They're all good, but it's nice to have highlights. So we'll be doing more stuff for our listeners. And so I thought, let's go back to security because we can never talk security enough. And those of you who remember our security podcast we did uh, early last year, um, I've in- invited back Chris Steffen, who I think is the security guru of all gurus. Chris, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Mr. Spector. Hi, Rob, again. Uh, Chris. Thanks for having me back. Chris, you know, I think it was, it's been over a year, I think, since we talked about security and the edge has moved, you know, there's a lot more happening in it, there's a lot more conversations, Kubernetes is growing, all these things. So I thought, well, let's talk about where security is today. What are the improvements you're seeing? Where are the holes we're seeing? Before we jump into that, though, why don't you just give us a quick update of what you're up to? I know that you are uh, between security guru jobs. Don't feel free. You don't have to name companies or anything, but just, you know, kind of give us your background and then we'll jump in. Yeah, absolutely. So um, for the last, oh, 20 plus years or so, I've been taking and talking about security in one form or another. I've I've helped build security practices and my, my concentration has always been um, in the uh, more legal compliance realm in the grand scheme of things, but operational compliance and uh, operational security has always been my forte. And so for the last couple of years now, I've actually been taking and helping lead uh, a security software company through their migration to create some, uh, what I personally thought was uh, security paradigm shifting kind of products. Uh, and, and it's really some amazing stuff what, that they're doing in general. Uh, in addition to all that, I have constantly been talking, uh, as as Stephen, as you well know, I've been talking about cloud security before, quite frankly, there was even such a thing as cloud security. And it's, it's something near and dear to my heart. I'm really, really, really happy at some of the advances that have been made. Um, obviously, recently, over the last couple of years, over the last uh, it, it, in the real in the industry in general, and it really has been very interesting for me to be able to participate and help shape some of those conversations because um, I think that you, if you are a company out there and you haven't bothered moving to the cloud or you still have some concerns about moving the cloud and that they're due to security or compliance, you really need to reevaluate that. It's time to move. It's time to take advantage of what's going on in the cloud, it's time to be able to maximize and exploit some of those resources for the betterment of your company. Those security concerns, those compliance concerns, um, they were valid a number of years ago. They really just aren't real anymore. And it's time to take in and reevaluate and figure out what's the next thing to do. Wow, that's a strong endorsement for cloud. What do you think changed? Very, very simply. Um, the cloud providers, they realized, and, and I would argue that this is probably on the order of about four or five years ago, but you're really starting to see it pick up now in the last couple years, three years maybe, um, that 
if they want to play in the cloud, and, and I'm going to divide this into two sections. Um, if they want to play in the cloud and you want to get the big customers into the cloud, you have to be able to understand their concerns and considerations when it comes to moving those mission critical workloads to the cloud. And, and like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll divide it into two sections. One, you have your regular commercial customer. Your regular commercial customer is um, a bank, a manufacturing company, you know, maybe they're making paper clips, maybe they're making envelopes, maybe they're making, you know, whatever. And ballots. but the reality is <laughs> sorry. Yeah, paper whatever, ballots. Right? We need those. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it, but the reality is that those companies are uh, unfortunately very highly regulated as well. Either comes from, you know, PCI or what we're seeing more and more is pass down vendor management. Um, really started to happen very significantly in the financial services industry. And you're seeing it happen really across all verticals now where you'll get a big company, you know, ABC company, you know, Bob's House of Widgets, whatever you want to call them. Um, and they do business with the biggest companies that you can imagine, be it, you know, anybody in the Fortune 100, um, you know, if you're a financial institution, any of the biggest banks that you can imagine. And those companies, of course, the way the regulations have panned out, those companies are then um, forcing their vendors, the companies that they do business with, to adhere to many of the same regulations that they are forced to, to deal with. Well, what's happened is that you have a trickle-down effect then. So you have those companies that are doing business with those big companies because everybody does. They have to deal with the compliance. And then to make certain that they're compliant, they have to deal with companies that are also believing in some of the same compliance. So this is one of those times where the free market kind of is working the way that you would expect it to where companies are starting to take and do a lot of regulation based on uh, a lot of you know federal and 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 governance requirements but some of them actually doing the right thing and doing their own due diligence making certain that the companies that they're doing business with are doing business right that's the first group the second group are those companies that want to do business with the government and uh, again, another whole subset, they have this whole huge set of compliance controls that, that you have to, to adhere to, to even think about, you know, potentially doing business with them. Um, where that comes to be relevant is the cloud providers have basically said that, well, we have to do business with some of these smaller customers, but we really want to do business with the federal government and in and, and, and international governments as well. And in order to do that, we have to pay attention to these compliance considerations, be it GDPR, be it, you know, even something as simple as PCI, something along those lines. But then you have all your, you know, 853 controls for FedRAMP, uh, you know, the Department of Defense controls, what ha whatever have you. You have massive batteries of controls that basically say you're going to have security that does this, that, and the other thing. And um, it, it really is just in your best interest to be able to do that. More to the point, you can't even talk to the federal government until you've proven that you're going to be compliant with that set of controls. Easy peasy, whatever. The government has basically mandated those things. And the cloud providers wanting to do that business have basically taken that to heart and decided that they are going to establish procedures and policies within their cloud environments and their shared infrastructure that can be assessed by that. In turn, what's happened is that you have 
the various big four auditing firms that have now released guidance on how they can audit to those particular requirements. And once they've done that, it really kind of opens up the floodgates. Now companies have a certain level of comfort. The It used to be that you had the big four accounting firms that would say, no, that's not a safe way to do it. Now they're, they have real guidance on how to, to assure that your, your workloads are safe and, and, and protected. And it, it kind of has just trickled down from there. Yeah, but it almost feels like the net to me is following uh, these requirements and guidance does make you more secure, which people should know, right? And then, you know, the fact that you know, you're riding on the coattails of people who demand those things makes everybody more secure. That's a rising tide type of answer. It surprises me because I, I was assuming you would go to better automation and CICD and, and not keeping, you know, instances up for a long period of time and having better patch disciplines of, of these, you know, the way we're interacting with cloud is improving security. But you really went straight to the, the infrastructure is more secure. Yay. Uh, that, that, it feels to me like that's the, those are all backdoor approaches. It's the front door that I always, I feel like it's the real, is a real risk factor for companies. And it is. I, I'm not going to deny that, but you got to start with the least common denominator, right? So let, let's use my hypothetical that I always use, which is Bob's House of Widgets. Bob's House of Widgets has, you know, 10 employees when it's all said and done, and they do business with Big Bank of, you know, the United States. And because they do business with Big Bank of the United States, they have to adhere to PCI and they have to adhere to whatever other pass on requirements that they are getting from Big Bank. Well, they beforehand, their security strategy was let's not appear on the nine o'clock news. Now they actually have some real policies in place that allow them to increase their maturity model. Rob, what you're talking about is something that that I totally obviously agree with, but the reality of the situation is that there are many companies, and I would argue that most companies, apart from the biggest companies that we can think of, don't often have that level of maturity when it comes to how they take and do their automation. Now, the big companies, no, that's, that's true. they are taking advantage of that. And, and the big companies are taking uh, and going down that yeah, road. Yeah, I, I guess that's I, I, line as well. It's a little. It's. I think it's spotty. Um, I. You know. For for what we see is we see a lot of people moving towards cloud patterns and automation, and then demanding that even on their their on premises and self managed infrastructure, those cloud practices are moving down into the you know in universally, um, in part because I don't. And this is this is sort of a. The, to me, the secret to making security work is security work is not a first order concern. It's it, we become safer when it's carried along by other good practice. Um, I wish it was. Don't tell, don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating putting security second, but I, I think that that happens. And if security gets baked in at, into the processes or into the hey, this is a better posture anyway, and is faster and is more efficient, then everybody's happy. I. I don't see people putting security in front of efficiency and speed. Maybe you maybe you see something different, but what you're describing to me is security came along for the ride. And and, and I I think that that is fundamentally true. But I think that what what you're saying is true as well. I think that you are seeing the security processes becoming more mainstream. People are beginning to understand some of that more and more. And I think that you're you're seeing it become. Not, not something that's a nice to have. It's a something that you need to have 
and let's develop policies and procedures that can actually make that happen, especially as those companies begin to mature. Pivot from here into a Wild West place where none of that exists, because, you know, we love talking about edge. It's one of our, our key topics. And edge to me presents a unique security threat. I think last time you were on the show, we talked a lot about GDPR, which people should definitely go listen to that show because that's great. And we are not going to say GDPR a second time. Thank you. <laughs> but but I, I do think so so there's a there's a security thing we've we've brushed on with other guests, but nobody's had the expertise to really discuss. In edge infrastructures, there is no um, inside the firewall in edge. Right? The, the the systems are interfacing up to cloud, so they're vulnerable um, in between. And they're down to IoT devices and, and, and public, public facing infrastructure. So they're vulnerable from the, from the back. Do, do you, does, does that make, is that, do you agree with that assessment that, that sort of? Oh, I totally agree with that assessment. Okay. And the, the, so, so many things to say. Um, when you start taking and looking at, um, the biggest advances in, um, security, I would say over the last year, maybe two years, um, you, how companies are looking at the edge, how companies are acknowledging the lack of an edge and what they need to be able to do to sleep at night about the edge is really starting to come to the forefront. Um, I, I think that we can all agree that this idea of a nice, warm, fuzzy perimeter. I think those days are gone. I, I would argue, and I think I could do it pretty successfully, that those days never really existed. It was a, you know, th this almost pretend place. Um, but regardless, uh, I, I think that we can all successfully agree that the days of having this, this all-protecting incubator inside of an organization, those days are no longer. And so you really need to be thinking about you know, from, from an edge perspective, wh what does that mean to your company? How can people do their jobs, access their environments, do the things that they now expect that they have the ability to do while the security people maintain some level of sanity, um, trying to protect intellectual property and mission critical company resources? in some way or fashion that allows them to sleep at night. So, so let, I want to deconstruct that because I think there's, there's layers, layers to how you look at that as a problem because, right, we need to talk about data encryption. We need to talk about patches. We need to talk about network security. I, I mean, can you break down core areas of resilience that, that need to be considered in an edge infrastructure? Well, let's, let's talk about some of the easiest ones first, not, not in any particular order, but just because they're the ones that, that I particularly like. And, and the, the one that I, that I've concentrated a lot, a lot on is just this whole idea of a network perimeter and, and how a company deals with their network perimeter in general has got to change. Um, I, I know that you're remote today. I am certainly not sitting in a, you know, four wall office in some, you know, citadel somewhere. Um, and, and how you take and, and conduct business out of a Starbucks coffee shop 
or a restaurant or on the train or on a plane needs to be in line with whatever company strategy you have, because that is how your people work. And so if you don't have a policy, you don't have a methodology that takes into account how your people work, then you're destined to fail. You, you absolutely cannot take and control the onslaught of how people are working today it, it, and thinking that if, if you, you know, force them to work in a Citadel that, you know, you're going to have a productive company. Th those days are gone. Those days just don't exist anymore. So you really need some kind of, um, a, of environment that allows, you know, multi-connectivity and, you know, protection through, you know, e either MFA of some kind of multi-factor authentication or some kind of, uh, you know, some, some kind of uh, authentication mechanism that provides context and security based on where they are. And right. there's a couple of them out there. Um, and, but that's, I mean, that's where you have to start. So what, what about something like, you know, I have a camera in, in the environment and that camera aggregates to, uh, you know, regional data center. You know, I'm, uh, I'm in, and this is where it gets a little weird. If I'm in a, you know, big box store and we have a whole bunch of cameras connected via Wi-Fi and I have cash registers and all this, right, and sensors, and we're going to see an explosion of, of IP-based data coming back for IoT that goes into the local data center it, in that facility. Yeah, okay, that's a captive system. I think we're, you know, we're, we're there today. Um, but what about the jump to a shared infrastructure, right? I, I know the telcos and the malls and everybody's like, okay, I don't want each retailer in the, in the mall to have their own mini data center, right? They need to have a shared infrastructure that shared if now you, now you have a vulnerability from all the, you know, it's, it sounds like a cloud, but it's not a cloud. It's, it's, a, it's, you know, everybody who's in the environment, there's no, um, you know, pop-up retailer that shows up with a credit card swipe and gets access to the front, you know, to, to your, your edge, edge infrastructure. Sure. Sure. Yeah. You know, can you build trust in an environment like that? Or how do you, how do you look at the security posture where you're trying to build the shared infrastructure? You have a, a limited number of actors. There aren't, aren't random people showing up. Um, but there are people in that environment who you can't trust. Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. And I, I think it's one that, quite frankly, we still struggle with. I think okay. that there are, um, still shared services out there, um, that, that are okay. I think that there are shared services out there that frankly are probably not okay. And so I went into my big diatribe about how, um, you know, security and compliance have modernized. Quite frankly, on some of these shared infrastructures, that is one of the areas where they're still not good. So let me give you a simple example. Um, if Larry Ellison had his way in this world, every single person would have an Oracle database taking and running on their computer. I get it. That's fine. I think if it was um, the perfect world, we'd all be taking and running in Larry Ellison's cloud and he would be making, you know, more money for more sailboats and what have you. But if I was IT guy, what I would like to be able to do is take and run with my shared infrastructure on 400 million other people's taking and running a Larry Ellison database 
all on the same set of databases that we can all pay for per use and, and what have you and, and be good to go. The problem is, is that then when you start looking at the regulatory requirements, I can't trust, arguably, I don't know if I can trust Larry Ellison, but I know that I can't trust a competitor who has potentially access to that same set of, you know, data and what have you in that same database that I'm now sharing with the rest of the world. Ah, but Even what, though, but, I, but what, what you just described to me is the anti-pattern of what edge infrastructure needs to be because I don't want to have to buy all of my sensors and devices from one vendor. I need them to be able to share data across vendor disciplines. I agree. I, I agree with you. And so what, what's ended up happening is that you still have um, the, these, for lack of a better term, protected workloads that a shared infrastructure model starts to be problematic. When, when you're talking about things that are um, ubiquitous, I, I'm not certain that it particularly matters one way or the other, whether it's on a shared infrastructure or not. And it, all things being equal, just for cost of scale and what have you, taking and putting on a shared infrastructure makes sense. But then when you take and look at things that are need to be you know, uh, ultra protected. And let's just pick something like, you know, intellectual property or, or something along those lines. It, it may not be from a regulatory perspective alone. I'm not even talking about a technological perspective. From a regulatory perspective, I don't know that we have advanced far enough to be able to say, yes, we can do that or no, we can't. Yeah, and, and I can give you a, an IP. So for audience, let me give you an IP example that, that would make sense because you might have people might have gone to patents or trade secrets. But if I'm running a camera network in an area that's a, you know tracking, identifying people, doing sentiment analysis or something, I, that's actually valuable data that I probably want to share with other people, and I could sell and monetize. And so I'm going to analyze that data, and then I'm going to start putting out these are the people, or this is the sentiment, or this is the person count, or these are the brands those people are wearing. Um, you know, into you know, and, and that's that's IP that these sensors are generating. And I, I think one of the the challenges with with this whole model that we need to think through is uh, data is IP, and IoT environments. While you know, we need to stop thinking them as temperature and pressure sensors. They are creating hugely valuable networks of data that is your intellectual product. It might be your product, right? The weather company, IBM bought the weather company, among other things. And but for the, for the data that you know, there's a huge amount of sensor and IoT data that can be fed into every other business problem that they're collecting, and and that became their IP. Um, and somebody accessing that without tradition, you know, without entitlements. Um, it could be a, a serious problem from a from IBM's perspective, um, or anybody else with a similar thing. I, I completely agree. Yeah, I completely agree. And and so I I don't know that we're prepared. I I mean I think that we're getting there. I think that there are still advances that need to happen from a security and regulatory perspective on how those particular issues are dealt with. Um, I, I feel that we're in a better place than we were, but I still think that we have a long way to go. So is there something that you would that people designing these systems because right we're still designing these these edge shared infrastructure or even dedicated infrastructure systems are still nascent what what do you, what do you think people should be thinking about as they build as they they build a secure infrastructure you need a methodology and and I would argue a set of standards that you can take and follow 
for all, and let's talk IoT for a sure. moment. One, one of the, I think, inherent barriers that you have with IoT is that there isn't a unified set of standards that everybody seems to be following on how IoT standards are, or how IoT devices are governed. That's true. Uh, understandably, you know, every single device is a little bit different and so on and so forth. But even, you know, connectivity standards and even s simple things like how, you know, if, if they're a remote or if they have a remote, how that remote connects and what frequency it connects on. None of those things are standardized. So right. the first thing that I would always ask for is that there would be some set of standards that you can take and adhere to. Um, from there, mm. let me let me drill into that for a second, if you if you don't mind holding that thought. So so from that example, no, instead absolutely. of instead of writing your own encryption protocol, use TLS, right? It's in you know use use yeah. the standard. So even if if you're embedding a device and you're not using a standard protocol, you are inherently in, unsecure, is what you're saying. You need to you need to be using best practice, even in these edge devices, even in these these you know, standard connections. Make sure you're using encryption. Don't don't run don't run don't run wild. That that's correct, and I, I would even go so far to say is that you know even following those kind of best practices, it, it may not seem like it makes a lot of sense for your particular program or your particular device or whatever have you, but in the long run it does because it opens up you having the ability to maybe not be controlled by but integrate with. Um, some other enterprise class or business class methodology of control. Let me give you a simple example. Um, it used to be that um, some of the the um, systems integration points like System Center and you know even OpenView, so on and so forth. OpenView was notorious for being extremely proprietary. I mean, you, you were using OpenView, and if you were using OpenView, you weren't using anything else. Well, companies began to realize that that's silly. And we wanted to can have an open standard to be able to, you know, be able to control multiple things, so on and so forth. Well, now you have a lot of different REST API calls and what have you that you can take and send and receive data to those control systems, those orchestrations and, and what have you to be able to control those systems or get telemetry or what have you. To go back to the IoT example, it may not make sense immediately for the device that they have or the device that they're programming. It may not make sense today, but maybe it makes sense tomorrow when you start talking about management, when you start talking about orchestration, to be following some of those standards. And, and the standards, I, I personally don't feel that they're onerous. I mean, again, why wouldn't you be using TLS? Why wouldn't you be using something like that? Why why would you be using triple DES or some stupid ass encryption algorithm yes, that doesn't make yes. any sense anymore. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, it just, I, it, it doesn't make any sense to not be following standard. Uh, it's, I mean, sometimes these devices are very small and they, they, you know, it's tempting to not have to. I mean, I was just talking to my CTO at RackN and we're, you know, uh, IPv6 wasn't supported in BIOS until a recent rev. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, these are small devices with limited overhead and you might not, you know, uh, TLS in infrastructure is hard for people to understand, right? How do you, you know, create certificates and rotate them, and uh, you know that that's that creates some overhead for people to understand. But I think they need to. I agree with you. Yeah, and I and I I guess I don't feel that it's so onerous that you can't. 
and again, maybe it's not the version that you have right now, but if you're not thinking about the future when it comes to, you know, some of that architectural design work, then you're, you're relegated to having to do some massive overhead when it comes time to, to do some integration for whatever the means may be. And so I guess I would, I'm just trying to be a little bit forward thinking when it comes to those things. It makes a lot of sense to spend a little time now figuring out how you'll make the integration happen, comparatively speaking to doing it later where it is a complete lift and shift redesign, what have you. That makes a lot of sense. And I would say the same is true probably when you look at the infrastructure you're backing up to. If you're using a standard standard tooling or platforms, then it becomes a little bit easier. I know we've had some guests who are you know trying to, to build whole cloth new um, platforms for Edge. Um, and I think that's really compelling. Uh, one of the things that I scratch my head on sometimes is are people going to look at that and say, yes, but I don't know where the... the the demons are, you know, maybe they're just going to go Kubernetes and put that on the edge, even if it's not the, the simplest fit, because they, they trust yeah. it. Um, did you have, a, you have a thought on that? No, I absolutely do. One of the, uh, unfortunately, and, and we're seeing it even in the company that I worked for before, you, you have something that is a, um, a, a revolutionary idea when it comes to edge computing. Um, the, the one that they had, and I'm, again, not trying to sell anybody anything, it was called the Software Defined Perimeter. It's, it's part of an open standard comes from the Cloud Security Alliance. And um, the, the idea, it, it's not new. It's, it's not something, you know, that they came up with in a vacuum. It's been around for a while. And it's finally starting to get some more universal place and more universal acceptance. But in the case of um, the Software Defined Perimeter model, it literally is one of those things where it's really, really hard to adopt something as paradigm shifting as a software defined perimeter when Cisco is your incumbent. And yeah. that's not, that isn't this on a, a traditional firewall. They certainly have their place. But when you start taking and looking at the advantages that something that is cloud native, something that is developed with the cloud in mind has over something that literally has not changed significantly, you know, in function and form over the last 20 years. Yeah, they add wrappers to it. Yeah, they add some this, that, and the other thing to it. They call it next gen and it's all pretty and it has some cool lights. But the reality of it is, is that a firewall is still a firewall. And, and not to age myself too much, the, the, the first firewalls I administered are fundamentally exactly like the firewalls that exist for everybody today. Not that I'm looking to become a firewall administrator, hmm. but, um, you know, it's, it's permanent job security at this point because it's something that you can learn once 20 years ago and it's literally the same project and, and, and basic today. And to me, what you're defining, so this, this, I, you know, I feel like I'm about to flip my, my whole argument. Um, because there is an element of I do I don't want to just stick to the entrenched. I know how this works because we're you know on edge. We do have a more dynamic environment. We're going to have new needs, um, and so rethinking how you're solving that problem and starting fresh is actually potentially very useful, as long as you're not doing it with. I need a new security protocol and I, you know, Oh, I'm not going to use, you know, I'm going to, I'm not going to use rest. I'm going to use something. Um, maybe, maybe there's a, there's a balance in, in this. And, and, and maybe there is too. I, I mean, you know, again, when, when I take a look at security products just in general, and I'm talking about at the hundred thousand foot view, rare is the day that there is a solution. Mm. Um, and as, and again, I'll pick on Cisco for a moment. 
as much as Cisco would like to tell you that they can solve all the world's problems with all the products that they have, the reality of it is, is that um, there's a couple of them that are really good. There is no possibility for all of them to be best in class. And so you have to kind of decide where you're willing to open up some risk, where it makes sense for you to, you know, implement something new, a little bit different to see if it works for your better organization and, and, and start, uh, for lack of a better term, start small, start with something that is, you know, a, an important part of your infrastructure, like a VPN solution or something like that. Again, VPNs are one of those things that hasn't changed in forever. Um, it's the, it, it literally is the, the stalwart of edge computing because the idea that you have a VPN to get into, you know, the crown jewels of a network, um, it, it, it's almost laughable. I mean, it's yes, something that's that I, 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 I will beg to differ a little bit, although I, maybe it's just a um, lipstick on a pig, but there's a ton of, of stuff going on in the WLAN um, perspective, perspective where they're, they're working to do VPNs that uh, connect to cloud infrastructures and VPCs and, and, and interconnect from that perspective. But maybe that's just VPN with, with some lipstick. It is. It's exactly what it is, okay. and, and and not to be contrarian, but you're you're literally talking about. Let's let's put the 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 function away for a moment and talk about the technology, which is the opposite of how I usually talk. The technology behind those solutions is is not changed. It is literally the same PPTP protocol that Microsoft developed. And, <laughs> I, I haven't heard PPTP in a long time. Point to point tunneling protocol. But it's for, the same for, thing. for those of you who are still still in diapers when when we were using modems. Yeah, sorry. I, again, sorry to age myself. That's what we're talking about here. But I mean, I, you know, and, and I'm not saying that there aren't unique solutions to be using some of those things. And some of those, some of those use cases have changed significantly. But the end all be all of how the technology is designed and used has not really changed dramatically um, in, in all that time. Yeah, they're again, they're doing a little bit of interesting things with it. But um, fundamentally, it hasn't changed. And, and let me give you a simple example. When you're thinking about, you know, regular TCP IP, TCP, security was never a consideration when they created TCP IP. And so when you have um, a, a VPN protocol, um, in general, you basically, and this is one of my favorite mantras in the world, you connect first, and then you authenticate after the point you connect. Well, any security person in the world will tell you that that's stupid. It doesn't make any sense because what you're basically saying is that, and, and this is the analogy that I use with my mother of all people. Um, it, you, you have somebody knocking on your door in, in, a, in a traditional VPN. They knock on your door. You open the door. You let them in your door. You close the door behind them. And then after you've closed the door, you say, hi, who are you? And what are you here to do? Bob the plumber says, I am Bob the plumber. I am here to fix your water heater. And then in a lot of cases, the, the computer or the VPN client says, yes, you're Bob the plumber. Go ahead and go do your thing. Well, now Bob the plumber has access to your entire house and everything else because you didn't direct Bob the plumber to a specific you know, the, to the basement where your water heater is. What you really need is something that connects, um, you, that authenticates first and connects second. And so there's, there's a couple different solutions out there that do that. But that's, that's really the direction that we want to go from a, from a paradigm shifting, you know, connect first, authenticate second to an authenticate first and then allow them to connect. And so I know we're, I know we're going to, we need to wrap up. I'm going to use this as, a, as sort of a closing point because I think it's really important. 
in these edge infrastructure cases, you 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 know you are already in the environment. <laughs> so, right, that in some ways, this you what you're describing is a is a fundamental thought in. All right, I need to make sure that I'm I'm you know I'm protecting myself at the very start of these conversations um, in in ways that we're not used to having to do at all. Um, and so I think you're right. I think we're going to have to we're going to have to figure out different trust models even before the socket I, is initiated. I completely agree with yeah, you. That's a good. That's a really good point. That's a good example. And and the the problem, you know, I. I I have used this term before, and, and I, I promise you I don't use it lightly. When you start thinking about paradigm-shifting technologies, that is the kind of radical shift that you're looking for in order to be able to effectively deal with some of these edge problems. I, I'm not saying that you can't. I'm saying that in order to be able to really get a handle on the amount of effort that's required to be able to effectively deal with them is going to cause some people to be uncomfortable. But it's one of those things where the, the uncomfortableness, if that's a word, of some of these people is going to lose in the long run because this is really the direction that I think the industry is going to go. Uh, well, Chris, as usual, your security talks are always the best, which is why I always invite you on. Well, great. Well, Chris, thanks again. And for those uh, looking for you on Twitter, social media, where should they look? Uh, CloudSec Chris, um, exactly how it sounds like it's spelled. Um, you can also take a look at my blog, which is thesecuritybeard.com. And, and speaking of the famous security beard, uh, to our listeners, if you happen to run into Chris and you get a picture with Chris and you tweet at, uh, at our latest shiny Twitter account with a picture of the two of you, um, as we build our website, who knows, maybe we'll make stickers or shirts, Rob. We could send prizes. <laughs> and, and Chris, my beard is nowhere near yours, but uh, I dream of it. And so if you run into me, anyone, uh, <laughs> which probably you won't, but if you run into me and take a picture, you don't get near the prize that you get with uh, Chris. Because the, the band has... The beard is definitely famous, and um, I love it. But quite quite frankly, it's a great icebreaker to talk to people. So if you, you run into me at conferences, and I am at you know practically all the conferences, uh, just stop by and say hi, and uh, let, let's just chit-chat a little bit. I'm always happy to talk, and quite frankly, almost never interested in selling you anything. So uh, come, come and uh, introduce yourself and say hello. Listeners, we hope you enjoyed this, and uh, we look forward to, Chris, maybe another year or so, maybe not so long, we'll get back. Uh, on a podcast with you as things keep progressing and trying to stay on top of security is hard because we never think about it. But I appreciate both of you guys joining us. Thanks again.